0: So there's no question that our faith gives us hope. It gives us hope for, for this life, but especially for the life to come. It promises us a, a resurrection from the dead that is glorious and that makes anything we've suffered here not even worthy to be compared to what the glory that will be revealed in us. But we might ask, so what do we do in the meantime while we're waiting for this glory? And our text today gives us the answer to that, and that's what we want to explore in this passage. Now, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about hope from Romans chapter 5, 1 through 11, that because of Christ, His coming, we have God has given us Christ, His only Son. How can we not have hope for the future when He's given us the greatest thing He can give? He's given us hope so that even in our sufferings where we have hope, we can see that God's working in us, and it gives us confidence of the future. And Paul blesses uh, the church in Rome and, by extension, us by saying that he wants God to fill them with all hope of joy and peace as they trust in him so that they might overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, have a firm confidence that everything is going to turn out well, that that we have a bright future, that there's a glory that's being revealed in us and that's going to get greater and greater and shine like the stars of heaven. If we really can get this hope, then we can look at the future differently. Instead of with anxiety, with peace. Instead of with fear, with joy. Instead of with dread, with hope. And when we have that, it can cause us to be less preoccupied with ourselves and our own anxieties. But if we, if we do that, then we're going to find that we have a margin in our soul. We have some space in our hearts. And what are we to do with that? Well, we have the answer in the question in this passage, and it is this. We are to do good works. It's that simple. The gospel gives us margin in our souls that we cash out by doing good works unto others. And so that's uh, what we're going to consider today in a little more detail. But to do that and understand it properly, we have to make clear, um, which uh, some of you already might be nervous about it. And so uh, we're not saved by good works. And that is clear in this passage. Verse 3, it says, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. So we might ask, what what do people in that state deserve? Only the wrath, only judgment, only condemnation. They haven't merited anything. They haven't merited a reward or blessing. They haven't done any good works that would save them. It's exactly the opposite. They have merited the opposite. But... I will say that this passage does teach us that we are saved by good works. By the good works of God our Savior. (laughs) Not our good works. What we find is that in order to bring us to a place we need to be, God did some good works. Out of his kindness that was demonstrated to us when we were in the middle of hating and hating one another, he sent his own son and he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. And then he called us out of the darkness to come into his light and to experience his blessing. And he gives us three amazing benefits. He gives us the Holy Spirit poured out on us generously. That changes us and makes us new so we can live a new life. No longer hated, hating and hating one another, but instead loving the Lord and serving others. We are washed, we're renewed, we're cleansed. And then secondly, we're justified, we're declared righteous not because of righteous deeds we have done, but by grace, as a gift, because of what Jesus has done. So we stand righteous before God, not on the basis of our good works, but on the basis of the good works of our Savior. And then thirdly, we are adopted. That's what it means that in verse 7, that we have become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. What that means is we're sons and daughters of God, and we are heirs of all things. So we look around us, we can say everything belongs to us as the children the sons and daughters of God. And so we have bright hope for the future. When we can really get this, that we're heirs of eternal life, that all things are ours, that we stand righteous before God, that we have a renewing power within us that is making us new, then that is what can give us that peace and joy and hope for the future. But where is that designed to lead us? Well, you can see what it says in verse 8. I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good; these things are excellent and profitable for everyone. And so, the point of of getting this comfort and peace that God has for us is that we would do the good things that He's also prepared for us. I find that there's a common error in, amongst evangelicals and evangelical churches is that, and there's it's that people kind of tend to think. We don't really have to work hard to do good works. That's, the idea of working hard is anytime you say we have to work hard, that that's sort of works salvation. And so therefore, working hard, that's something different. If, if we're going to do good works, it's something that's sort of automatic, that we just wait for the Spirit, and when the Spirit leads us, we'll do it sort of automatically. It'll be spontaneous, and we won't even have to think about it. But this passage teaches us differently. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to emphasize that and underline that in a minute. But it's also something that should be we should work at, that we should aim at. And the passage teaches us in three way, This in three ways. First, that the the Titus is called to teach salvation and good works. He says that this is something you're to insist upon, that you are to emphasize. It's a major theme that God has called you to teach upon is that those who have, who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. It's something that is not to be taken for granted as if it will happen automatically. It is something that you should teach. And that's what Paul is showing him to do in this very letter. He says that Christ gave himself to make a people who were eager to do what is good. Or I like the translation that says, zealous for good works. He says in verse 1 that he wanted them to, Titus to remind the people to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to be ready to engage in good works. And in verse 14, he says, Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. In other words, it's not just something that needs to be taught. It's also something that needs to be learned. That's why it needs to be taught. That it's not something that we should assume that will just come automatically. It's something that people need to be instructed in. It's, it's what it that they should do good works and what that looks like. And that's how the Holy Spirit will bear fruit in their lives. The second way it teaches us that it's not automatic but something we should work at is by using the term saying that those who have trust in God may, may be careful, may, must be careful to devote themselves to good works. So that term is is that is given here shows like you give care and attention to it when you're when you don't give care to something what do you do you kind of go on autopilot like if you're driving you're not really giving care you're kind of like you just going on autopilot, we're just used to doing it don't even think about it but when you give care to driving you may say you put your your hands at two and ten you're looking around you know you're being very careful you're thinking about it that's what it's saying is that's what paul is teaching us we are to do with good works Good works is not just an autopilot thing. It's something that you should give thought to. It's something that you should give attention to. It's something that you should be deliberate about. It's something that should occupy your mind. The word here even indicates a sort of worry. And in the sense that it's that we we would say, I'm concerned that I would be a person who doesn't do good works and I want to be a person who does do good works. So that's the second way is in that word, be careful. But then the third the third way is that he uses the word to devote themselves. Now, that word devote there means the idea of maintaining it, the idea of keeping at it. It is like practicing the art of good works. You work on it. You, you uh, think about it. You work on it. You practice it. You learn better practices, and then you do it. So let me give you an analogy. So I might say today I'm going to play football. Um, now if I'm just with a few friends and we're playing tag football, I might not need to do that much. We can just go out there and do it. But if you're going to even play high school football, we've got some people playing college football. If you go and you just to say like, you know, I just, I've not, I'm not trained. I'm not worked out. I don't know how to do it. I'm just going to go out in the field. What's going to happen? You're going to get crushed, right? You've got to actually think about it beforehand. You've got to train, you've got to develop your, your muscles You've got to know the skills if you're going to get out there and not be demolished by the opponents. So that's something of what Paul is saying here, not the demolished part. But he's saying that you're going to think about it. You're going to prepare for it. You're going to learn the skills. That's the idea here. And so all of that points to the fact that doing good works is a big endeavor. It's something we should be very deliberate about. It's something that we should work hard at. It's something that should cause us to sweat in a way. But now, some people are going to come to me and say, well, what about the Holy Spirit? What's the Holy Spirit's role there? Well, I think that the answer to that is found in in Philippians 2, verses 12 through 13. And if you want to say, you have trouble, you ever have trouble putting together, how does the grace of God and our work go together in the Christian life? How does the grace of God and our work go together in the Christian life? use Philippians two twelve through 13 as sort of guardrails uh, for explaining it. Because it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. So we work hard and it's the Spirit who's working in us. That is, that is the idea. You're probably not going to prove on that formulation. Nonetheless, I'm going to read another formulation that's not the Bible, but it's one that we, our church, the historic confession of our church, the Presbyterian Church in America, um, describes um, how we are to do good works. It says, we, there's actually a whole chapter on this that you can read, and it says, you know, we're not saved by our good works, but we should be diligent to do them, and how it gives a lot of good thoughts. And it says that believers may be enabled thereunto... Oh, sorry. The ability to do good works is not at all of believers themselves, but wholly from the Spirit of Christ. And that they may be enabled thereunto, beside the graces they have already received, there is required an actual influence of the same Holy Spirit to work in them to will and to do of his good pleasure. In other words, he's saying it's not just enough to get the Holy Spirit when you believe. The Holy Spirit keeps working in us. God keeps working in us. Now it says, notice what it says immediately. Yet they are not hereupon to grow negligent as if they were bound to perform any duty unless upon a special motion of the Holy Spirit. In other words, they say, you don't just get lazy about it. You don't just wait for the Spirit. But instead, they ought to be diligent in stirring up the graces of God, grace of God that is in them. And so that's the idea. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. And you know, if you want to emphasize works or grace... You know, make sure that your formulations fit within that, fit within that framework. So there's the idea of connecting the Holy Spirit and grace with our work. But let's, let's take a little bit deeper dive into what good works are. What are we talking about when we're talking about doing good works? What would it look like if we devoted ourselves to good works? Uh, great preacher John Wesley, it's not me even though that's my name, named after him, uh, said we should do all the good we can to as many people as we can, as often as we can. And that's kind of the general principle. As Galatians 6.10 says, let us do good unto all people, especially to the household of faith. And so that's the idea. But what does it look like more concretely? So let me give you five ways in which we can do good works. First, we can meet physical needs. This means like care of the poor and the needy. Maybe helping someone with their physical health They're providing them shelter or food, paying for electricity, things like that. Sometimes it's harder in our land. We have a, thanks be to God, we have a a super abundance of this stuff. And there's all kinds of resources that are available. And the needs are not always obvious, but we might have to help someone repair a house. Or we may have to help them meet a bill in between payments in order to meet these physical needs. We may have to come over and help them work on their house. Or maybe cook for them, things like that. So those are physical needs. We can do good works by meeting physical needs. Secondly, we can do good works by meeting emotional needs. So this means like the, our need for, you know, connection, a need for, for, um, for things that make us thankful and grateful to avoid some of the negative emotions, letting them overtake us, and in and, and general, uh, a state of emotional well-being that will drive us forward in doing good things. One example of this that's really common in our society is loneliness. One of the good deeds we can do is just to connect with people, just to show that we care about them. There was, um, there's, a, there's an organization in our, in our community called Live It. that was started by Paul Danis. And Paul Danis was a pastor to senior adults at uh, The Gathering uh, here, here in Sevierville. And as he ministered them, he realized there's a lot of people in our county that are kind of isolated, older people are isolated, who have need for help with physical needs, but also they need connection. They need connection. And so that's what gave him, a, that's how his passion for building Live It uh, developed, which leads us to our third uh, way we can serve and do good works. We can do good works by meeting community needs. Now, here's what Paul Danis did. He didn't just go to these, these people individually, though he did do that. But he started an organization that would help churches connect with those people and help those who are lonely and on their own connect with each other so they could help each other meet one another's needs. And you see, that is like the community need. It's something a bit bigger. We can do something on our own to, to meet needs, but we can also engage other people in fulfilling the needs that are in our community. We can do it by building an organization like Live It. We can do it by providing employment, by, by maybe you're good at doing something and you have skills and you say, you know, I could do this on my own and maybe it's less of a headache. But you might say, it's more of a headache, but I could also help people gain employment by getting, starting a business where I employ other people. That would be doing a good work. You can do projects in the community that require funds, like, for example, building a library. There was a committee that got together, a guy from our church was on that committee, and helped build our King Family Library, which is a beautiful structure and a great place for our community, a gathering point. You can help people connect with resources that some people, you know, they're, they're, what I've been amazed is there's all kinds of charitable organizations, but a lot of people who need those don't know about them. Just connecting to those can help. You may say we're going to build a church, uh, a church building, in order to be of service to the community and to a local church. You could organize a block party. It's things that, that take more planning and cooperation. This is one thing I want to challenge you. If, if you like to do something on your own, think about how can I bring other people along and to do more good works and to get them engaged in good works. So that's the third thing. The fourth thing is we can do good works by meeting development needs. And development needs, I mean, is that people need to learn things to grow. Obviously, children need to learn, but people at every stage of life need to learn. And we all have things that we can learn from one another. Um, And so how how do we meet this need? By getting involved in people's lives and showing them what we've learned and helping them grow. One of the things I'd like to encourage us to think about is that, I mean, we have a lot of people who have been Christians for a long time and have learned a lot of things. Um, And what are we to do with that? Well, what if we engaged in connecting with the next generation? Maybe outside our church and family, but in the community. What would happen if we were very deliberate about that? Um, What would the effect be? Probably bring some of those people in here to be loved by the rest of us. At least we'd help them take a further step. We got to think about the next generation. What if we... Got involved with them, listened to them, sought to invest in their lives. The fifth thing is the most important, but should be connected with the other things. And that is we can do good works by meeting spiritual needs. And that is that people's biggest need is to connect with their creator. And we're here today because we want to connect with the God who has made us and who has redeemed us in Jesus Christ. But there's a lot of people out there who don't know the way to connect with their creator. They don't know what he has to offer them. They don't know that he wants to have a relationship with them. We can go to them and start talking to them. We can start meeting with people. We can read the Bible with them. We can have a talk about the Lord. We can pray for them. We can teach them to pray. All these things are ways in which we meet spiritual needs. These are the good works that we can do. Now, let me give you just a little bit of advice, some some wisdom, perhaps, in how you can engage in this. So first is to plant your feet firmly in the gospel. One of the things is, I totally believe that the Bible is very clear that we should work hard to serve others. That, this, that it is a calling to, to, to pour out our blood and sweat in the service of, this, of the people of this world. But if you're struggling to do that, don't start by saying, well, I better just work harder. Now, well, There's a place for that sometimes. But the main thing is we have to check and see where are our hearts are. Are we really see- receiving the good from God that he has for us? Are we seeing that he really has everything that we need so that even when we give ourselves to others, we will have no lack? That is that is the first thing we've got to go to him and receive. We're not a spring of good works. We're not, um, we're also not a, a, a sort of container where the, where the good of God just flows in and just stays there. When that happens, you know, there's no outlet for the water. What happens? It gets bad. That's what happens to, to a lot of Christians. They just take in the good things and it never flows out and it gets kind of stinky. And so we're, we're a channel. We're received from God and we give it unto others. So plant your feet firmly in the gospel. Secondly, consider who you are. What are the things that God has naturally made you able to do? Some people are really able to see how to plan things. So maybe that work in administration. Some people really are good at listening. So you can listen. Some people are really good at encouraging. Some people can really see uh, how money works and understand that. And they can start businesses. And they can just see where the, the need, for, need is and find how to get resources there. Um, some people could teach. Some people can can serve uh, more readily. So look at your gifts. But then third, develop some skills. So don't just rest and say, well, I got the gifts I've got. But learn things that you can do that help others. Learn how to use a cell phone so you can help others use a cell phone who, who struggle with that. There are people who struggle with that. Um, learn how to do construction so you can build something. Learn how to do plumbing so you can fix fix a pipe for someone, learn how to cook so you can cook for some, someone, learn, learn a foreign language so you can talk to the people in our community that can't speak English and so on. All these people, all these things are things that will open up your ability to do good works. And then fourth, then um, look wide for the opportunities. You know, sometimes we, I, I say, well, we should do good work. So well, what is there to do? It's like, well, you haven't looked around. There's the, there's stuff there to be done. And we just have to get out there and connect and find those things. And we'll probably find a lot of them. And eventually we'll have to make a decision. That's the fifth thing. Once you've seen it, focus. Choose something and go after it. You know, we support a variety of ministries as a church. And I would tell you, we could, if we had the resources, the people and the money, we could, we could probably do a thousand more. There's like endless options of ministry partners. We had to look who, who is connecting with us. Um, where do we have an opportunity? Where, where can we serve as well as be served in this group and have a real partnership? And sometimes we get that wrong. But we had to make a decision and move forward with it. And that's kind of what we have to do with our gifts and, and skills as well. Do something. Don't wait too long. Now, I'm going to explain one reason we can be so confident going forward in a minute. But what I want to talk about here then is why should we do this? Why should we do this? What is our motivation for good works? Well, to understand that, we have to go back to what is not our motivation for doing good works. Our motivation for doing good works is not to base our salvation or our justification upon them. In in fact, that is the good works killer, to tell you the truth. Because here's what happens. When you put the weight of salvation and your justification on the works that you've done what are you going to do? You're going. To, this happens all over the world. You're going to end up turning works into something really manageable for yourself. You know, something relatively easy. I went to the confessional this week, and so I'm good. Um, I went to church, put in my money. I'm good. I learned this doctrine, so I'm good, rather than a heart change that manifests itself in service to others. So, basing your salvation or, good, or justification on good works is a good works killer. But then why should we do them? Well, first... Oh, wait, before I say that. Um, one of the things I say is that when we understand that our justification is not based on our good works, our justification is based on the good works of Christ, then we realize that we can go out and do good works without much worry if we're really getting it that wrong. Because what we could say is like, what if we choose the wrong thing? What if we mess up? Then we're still okay. We still are. We have eternal life still. We still are justified before the Father. We say, look, I I messed up here. I either did some wrong things. I made a, a choice that wasn't as wise. So I'm sorry. Or I just need to correct. And you move on. But you're okay. Justification by faith alone gives us the foundation to be able to just go with gusto without worrying too much that we're getting everything right. It gives us the power to just move forward. Um, that's why Martin Luther made the, made the statement, sin boldly. Um, and he wasn't saying literally, you know, find a sin and do it boldly. Well, his point was, get moving. It's like you're okay with God, so get moving and doing something. You're, gonna, you're going to mess up. You're going to sin. But you've got to move forward because you've got a little bit of time here to do good works, and they're good, and so get after it. That's what he was saying. And that's, the, that's kind of the point. The Apostle Paul says, Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. So one reason we want to do good works is that we don't, we want, to, don't want to live a life that's unproductive. How many people want to go and have on their gravestone, Here, live, here, here lies Wes. He lived an unproductive life. Like, who's aiming at that? Like, nobody, nobody says that. But sometimes we do what we, we... Sometimes we do that. We want to live a productive life. It's obvious that that's what we want to do. That's why, in verse 8, he says, these things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Like, to, people could see that doing good works that will serve our, our families, our communities... Um, are the people around us bring people to God. It's like, these are excellent and profitable. Why wouldn't we engage in that? Here's how the benefits of good works are described in our confession, the Westminster Confession of Faith. It says, these good works, done in obedience to God's commandments, are the fruits and evidences of a true and lively faith. And by them, believers manifest their thankfulness, strengthen their assurance, edify their brethren, Adorn the profession of the gospel. Stop the mouths of the adversaries. And glorify God, whose workmanship they are, created in Christ Jesus thereunto. So you hear all those things. Like, what better thing are you going to do with your life than that? Where, where, what other thing is going to get you all that stuff? I mean, who of us is going to say at the end of our lives, Man, I wish I hadn't devoted myself to so many good works. I really wish I, I, had, I had just spent a few more hours sleeping. I wish I had watched more videos on YouTube. Um, I, wish, I wish I had scrolled a little bit longer on Facebook. And, you know, and again, those aren't things aren't necessarily bad in their place. We need sleep. You know, Facebook and YouTube have their place. But it's like to really engage ourselves in doing something that's bigger and something that's hard. Are we going to look back and say, that was totally a waste of time? No, these things are good and excellent and profitable. Martin Luther, God raised him up to, teach the, to remind the church and teach it again with clarity what it means to be justified by faith alone as a gift received by grace. To stand before God, not on the basis of what we've done, but on the basis of what Christ has done. But you know, what you might not know about him is that he also believed in good works. And listen to how he described it. He said, but the, the good works should be worth nothing or be worth only a penny. Whoever heard of such a thing or who could teach such a thing except the lying mouth of the devil? I would not give up one of my sermons, not one of my lectures, not one of my treatises, not one of my Lord's prayers, nay, whatever small work I have done or am doing for all the riches of the world. That's a powerful statement. I mean, this guy loved grace. He loved the doctrine of grace, but he said, Man, I love good works too. And after that, after justification, good works. And I want to have as many of them as I can because it's awesome. Outside the article of justification, he said, We cannot sufficiently praise and magnify these works which are commanded by God. For who can sufficiently commend and set forth the prophet? and fruit of only one work, which a Christian does through faith and in faith. Indeed, it's more precious than heaven or earth. And that's why Jesus said, whoever gives a cup of cold water to one of the least of these will not fail to reward, receive his reward in heaven. And so, my friends, we got a few years ahead of us. What are we going to do with it? We have the resources to to be to do in our faith to enable us to do the good works that God has prepared to advance for us to do. So let's take in all that God has for us in our faith, but let's cash it out by doing as many good works as we, ha- we can in the time that we have. Because this is why Jesus came, to redeem, to purchase for himself a people zealous for good works. Thus may it be. Amen.